Welcome to Minister's Life and Work, brought to you by Bob Yunker. A Minister's Life and Work podcast strives to provide you with solid content with clarity and relevancy, providing you clear options of application to our culture and with an eternal purpose. We'll touch on a variety of discussions and topics that revolve around my life and work as a minister of a small rural church in Eastern Oregon. Some of these topics may include the Bible, the news, church culture, marriage, parenting, billiards, running, and even include some reviews of books I've been reading. I'll try to end each episode with three life applications. Let's begin. You are listening to part one of a two-part series called Doing the Best Things in These Uncertain Times. Occasionally, an episode's introduction will be called Bob's Hot Topics. These portions will explore news, events, activities that I want to discuss that have been saved in my memory, I have been chewing on for some time, and it's time to let it out. By subscribing and listening to my podcast, you have the blessing of listening to my hot topics. You also will have an opportunity to respond to these hot topics at bobyunker.substack.com under the chat section. Well, let's begin. On December 31st, 2022, Dana White, president of the UFC, which stands for Ultimate Fighting Championship, is one of the largest, fastest growing sports entities in America. It is American mixed martial arts promotion company and organization. Dana White was filmed slapping his wife Ann twice. His first slap came immediately after his wife had slapped Dana and then in altercation ensued. He slapped her again and he appears to push her to the ground. We obviously don't know the full context of what transpired well before or well after. It's just video context of the altercation. You can go to TMZ.com and other news agencies as well as YouTube to find this video. The next day, Dana jumped on TMZ and did damage and control, dealing with the media fallout head on. He gave no excuses and he reiterated that he never has done this before and it should never happen again. In a pre-fight media promotion, he says that nobody should defend him. In the weeks following... Sports outlets and commentators had a heyday responding to the reaction as well as the non-reaction from the UFC, the surrounding supporters, financial backers, and deep pockets of the UFC regarding this altercation. Well, in the midst of this hot topic, men don't have, will have no reason to hit, slap, or be violent towards a woman. No room for domestic violence at all from either the man or the woman. In the midst of this, my hot topic is consequences. From all appearances in the media, Dana White has experienced very to little repercussion. Now with the media in itself reporting, that does not mean he has not experienced repercussions or consequences, but the media has not reported of such. With that being the case, let me quote Dana White. What should the repercussions be? You tell me. I take 30 days off. How does that hurt me? Me leaving hurts the company, hurts my employees, hurts the fighters. Doesn't hurt me. I could have left in 2016. Do I need to reflect? No, I don't need to reflect. The next morning when I woke up, I own this. I'm telling you that I'm wrong. So my take is regarding consequences. There are logical, natural consequences that has transpired in this event. Dana White has already implied that he walks around now with the title of 
a domestic violent abuser. He also has a video circulating around the internet from here until he dies with him slapping his wife, the mother of his children. His children will have to live with this. His wife will have to live with this. Wherever he goes, there he is. External consequences. So we have maybe internal consequences. He has to de- deal with the convictions, the conscience of, of what he's done, the guilt, the re- regret, the remorse, and so on. But what about external consequences? Should he experience external consequences? Well, who am I, right? I'm just a, I'm just a pastor at a small church in Eastern Oregon, so really, does my opinion matter? Not really. This is, again, my hot topics. I want to, and I get the, the pleasure, and you get the pleasure of listening into my hot topic. Should behavior unbecoming and detrimental to the organization, especially to a leader or a president, experience consequences, especially within the place of leadership? And if so, what should those consequences be? How does one self-impose consequences? Dana was asked about changes or procedures now moving forward now that he has gone through this. He says, I don't have a different take on it. It will all depend on different situations. Hopefully everyone is seeing what is going on with me. At the end of the day, we all are human beings. We all make mistakes. And all you can do is try to recover from the mistakes you make in life. I don't know. I'm sure it'll be on a case-by-case basis. I mean, we've got a lot of people around here that make a lot of mistakes, and I am one of them. So, it's not too far off there when it comes to making mistakes. The one statement that does bother me is this issue of, I don't know, I'm sure it'll be on a case-by-case basis, as well as him stating he's an example. The problem I have with the two statements, the latter one is he is the example. So the example that has been stated, the example that that he has left as a precedent is there's really no consequences within the organization. So within his, his organization that he's president of and the fighters that he represents that are under his organization... It is hard to enforce a consequence when the very person enforcing is, is the one that has committed such event, such activity, such behavior, and he has not experienced a consequence from the same organization. At all, that could be construed as hypocritical. The, the first, the case-by-case basis. That is subjective. It's case-by-case basis is hard to have a concrete policy or procedure in place when we deal with the phrase case-by-case basis. It's hard to, as he stated, there's no excuse for domestic violence. There's no reason for a man to hit a woman. And then he comes back and says it's by case-by-case basis. Obviously, context matters. I see where he's going. As he stated, he's an example. What better opportunity to be an example? One, either self-impose external consequences or let the agency or agencies, the board, dish out the consequences. Two, put in place procedures and consequences within the organization for those who have uh, committed such abuse. Humanity will never be content with consequences. Many will say it's too light. Others will say too heavy. This isn't about satisfying the masses just providing a safe environment for women. Hot topic number two. Sam Smith's performance at the Grammys. As you may have watched, seen, read about this musician, this artist 
who sang at the Grammys in devil satanic uh, wardrobe singing a song called Unholy with his uh, singer Kim in a cage assuming to represent hell as he is to represent uh, the devil, Satan, and dancers representing demons. So issue number one, that seems to be out there. Conservatives and Christians are bothered, angry, disappointed that such an artist would prounce around a stage on live television in devil satanic wardrobe. Issue number two would be television Grammys would put such an artist and entertainment on national TV. And the other last issue would be the glorification of evil. My perspective, there's nothing new under the sun. There's really not. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 reads, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasoning, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the form of corruptible mankind, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to a vile impurity in their lusts of their hearts so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged natural relations for that which is contrary to nature and likewise the men to abandon natural relations with women and burn in their desire toward one another males with males committing shameful acts and receiving Receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them to be depraved mind, to do those things that are not proper, people having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, they are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So there's nothing new under the sun. And Paul, writing in this uh, letter to the Roman churches, is writing about a generation, a group of individuals that had known God, But yet they bailed. They totally just went sideways. Now, some would look at that as a description of Sodom and Gomorrah's lifestyle uh, and their culture. But I think it's safe to to say that that is a pretty good mere reflection of our culture today. So uh, what we see on TV and the glorification of evil and so on is really nothing, anything new. In fact, I would suggest that in my culture, it's sort of hypocritical to make really a big stink about it. If if one can recall, back in the 80s, there was this group called Culture Club. The lead singer's name was Boy George. And if you listen to Boy George's interview in 1983, he addresses his own sexuality. Now, this is this whole dialogue that I'm having is not about sexuality, uh, binary, non-binary, homosexual, heterosexuality, uh, lesbian, queer, and all that stuff. That's, that's not my point in this discussion, but it's a larger picture here. 
of what's going on. Because one, Boy George had admitted that he was bisexual in 1983 interview uh, with uh, Joan Rivers. And then he did an interview with Barbara Walters and uh, sort of reconfirmed that uh, ascription. If we take Prince, for example, who was another gentleman that, oh yeah, by the way, uh, Culture Club won a Grammy for being the uh, best new artist in the 80s. So this stuff, okay. So Prince is another example. Great controversy arose uh, with him and his sexuality and so on. Because one of the issues with Sam Smith is, and, and a lot of conservative Christians really get up in arms, and is that... Uh, his non-binary status. And so they make a huge stink about this as but seem to forget that probably some of the same songs that they sang when they were younger. Yeah, you know where I'm going with it, right? Okay. Prince, phenomenal, phenomenal musician, phenomenal entertainer. In fact, if if you would just google uh the best top or uh, the top 5 best Halftime Super Bowl performances, Prince is right up there. Prince is probably number one, number two. Incredible performance. Him with his guitar can hold thousands of thousands of people in awe. Him and his guitar alone. Now you throw in a microphone, he's hands down the best when it comes to musicianship, songwriting, and the ability to, to master an instrument such as guitar. And his persona and his entertainment factor. But yet, uh, some may say, well, uh, nothing was as evil and grotesque as was Grammys, uh, Sam Smith's performance at the Grammys. Well, I would have to say that if you just go back to the 80s and 90s, go look up at Quiet Riot's albums, Motley Crue's front albums. Their, uh, um, let's see, Black Sabbath. You don't have to watch it on TV. You just simply buy the album. You can stare at pretty much satanic imagery. So this is anything new. For some, it's a sellable product. That evil place, uh, sellable for some. So this isn't anything new. And uh, much more can be said about... Uh, and then Rihanna's performance about some of the gyrations and and some of the... Uh, hands and, and gestures that she had and it's not anything new you go back to many uh, Super Bowl performances or any live performances it's going to be nothing new under the sun do I believe that it that it's wrong and it's it's sexual and it should not be glorified absolutely not it should not be glorified in any sense of the imagination in fact what Romans uh, 1 just is that there's people that invent evil that's there's a problem there. For those that are just super hyper loud. Oh, let me get to my response. Okay, it's not only get it worse. I think I have a, a link here, by the way, about heavy metal stuff. Let me let me just see if I can find it in my notes here. Uh, if you go to www.kexp.org and one of the articles back in, I think, October 30th, 2020, Rise and Fall of 1980s Heavy Metal, it deals with some of the uh, issues of that had come up <laughs> with the heavy metal industry about listening to music backwards and all that. It had a satanic message, and some of it's legit. Some of it was more out of uh, fear. I think some hyper-Christian evangelists were uh, 
promoting something that may not have been there and striking fear in people. Okay, so my response. It's only going to get worse because of sin, because of what Adam and Eve and what we're living with now. It's only going to get worse. As stated earlier about places of nothing new on the sun. And also you think just the sheer nature of physics. Uh, things are going from order to chaos. That's called second law of thermodynamics. It's just simply at the law of entropy, I believe, at the same sort of subcategories that we're going. Things were designed with order and we're going from order to chaos. Everything's breaking down. Everything's going from what has been the design to now going to chaos. And uh, we see that in in the decaying of our society, decaying of decisions, decaying of morality, decaying of the physical world as well. Christians, uh, if you're a Christian uh, listening to this, uh, you're to be a teacher. I guess regardless of being a Christian, I'll just state this. You're to be a teacher in your home. We have left this place of... Uh, education system, public school system, or charter schools or whatever to an education system because one, mom and dad are working and we're going to just pawn our kids off to an education system where it was never the intent. In fact, it was that mom and dad were to be the teachers in the home. They're, They're just simply it. You're to teach your children life skills. You teach them work skills, work ethic, and and moral uh decisions and so you're the teacher of the home we just have now used our money to uh, transfer that and now we pay property tax or sales tax to deal with salaries of education to let them be the teachers and frankly my wife's a uh, preschool teacher she's a phenomenal preschool teacher uh, I'd send my kids and I encourage uh, individuals to send their kids to my wife's preschool she's a phenomenal teacher so with that being said, if parents are teachers in their homes, then they wouldn't be tending their kids to preschool. But the reality is individuals work. So there's number the one. Okay, now Christians. Christians, you're to be teachers of Jesus stuff in your homes. You're supposed to be the children's ministry in your home. You're supposed to be the youth, min- youth ministry in your homes. That's what you do. And number three, Jesus says we're not to be part of this world as we are in this world. Don't pursue the worldly junk that appears to be of success, notoriety, and stability, and esteem. So don't pursue that junk. So all of the stuff that's glamorized on TV and you look at it and so say, that's just that's just crazy yeah another point later I'll make another point number three your tone approach and your response will determine the tone and the breadth and depthness of who and how you're going to reach others so uh, you can put the memes you can show the video clips you can be angry you can write hateful letters and so on you can uh, some TikTok stuff about your response to what's going on in our culture and our media and rightfully so it's pretty disgusting how you respond uh, can be a a measurement of where you want to reach and how you want to reach individuals and the response that you're wanting to get. Number four, you need a, we need solid Christians in every facet of our society. Every workforce needs solid Christian believers. We need Christian artists. We need Christian musicians. We need uh, you just put Christian behind any 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 work, any job, any career, uh, secular. It, we need solid. We need uh, loud. Not the loud just simply is to drown out uh, other noises, but we just need people who are willing to make, make their statements heard. You're like, wait, isn't that contrary to what your last point was? Absolutely not. We need bold, assertive people. Just understand that you can be completely right and completely wrong in your approach. And you're okay with being completely right and completely wrong with your approach? Then that's how you're going to be able to reach people. You're going to reach those that are very similar, who are very like bowl in a china cabinet, just wrecking 
dishes as you make your cases. Okay, number five, you can turn off the TV, shut off the phone, mute the radios, and do on. Shut, cut the tele, cut the bills, whatever it is. Uh, you don't have to listen and watch. So what you saw on TV a week ago at the Grammys and or a few weeks ago or what you saw in the Super Bowl, you didn't have to watch. We had a Super Bowl party at our house. We watched it. In fact, I turned up the TV because I wanted to hear Rihanna's music. That's just what I wanted to do. We had young kids uh, listening and watching. We had young kids that um, may watch or watch Rihanna and say, hey, that's who I want to become. That's the case. Mom and dad, uh, there is there you have it. You have some you have some teaching to do, but you also have some teaching to do. You have an awesome opportunity. So that's my hot topics for the doing the best things in these uncertain times. Now let me get after this part one is doing the best things in these uncertain times. If you have at any time been able to select the image that I have been uh I shared for this podcast, you'll notice that it is the church, uh, Harold Church in Staten, England. Sir Robert Shirley, a royalist, built the church in the hall grounds in the defiance of Cromwell and died a prisoner in the Tower of London. Sir Robert Shirley was a royalist who opposed Oliver Cromwell's Puritism. England was at a volatile stage in its religious and monarch relationship. In fact, civil wars were taking place. The royalists were committed to the king while the parliamentarians were devoted to the parliament. And so the battles were over. Who was going to take charge? Sir Robert was an Anglican who was devoted to the Church of England. During Sir Robert Shirley's life, the monarchy or England was overthrown by the parliamentary victory and thus created the first commonwealthy of England, which established the precedent that an English monarch cannot govern without parliament consent. So Sir Robert Shirley defied Cromwell's Puritan regime by building a church. Constructed in 1653 of stone, the chapel stands about 50 feet from the hall and comprises a west tower, a a chancel and aisles, and a fascinating example of 17th century Gothic survival. Cromwell was enraged and felt Shirley had participated in attempts to restore the monarchy. If anyone could afford to build a church, he could afford to raise an army. Sir Robert was in prison in the Tower of London three separate times. Actually, where he died, nearly 28 years of age. Check this out. In the year 1653, this is an inscription above one of the entrances of Harold Church. In the year 1653, when all things sacred were throughout the nation destroyed or profaned, This church was built to the glory of God by Sir Robert Shirley, whose singular praise it was to have done the best things in the worst times. So how about you? What are you doing in your life right now in these worst times or maybe uncertain times? You don't have to be a believer. You don't have to be a rock solid Christian to answer that question. What are you doing right now? And are you doing the best things in your life during these uncertain times? I'm going to transition from the 1600s to the 1930s. This is when the Dust Bowl had uh, occurred in the Great Depression and the fallout of the stock market. Check this out. No Man's Land had been one of the last places in the United States where a person could hide and nobody cared enough to come look for them or to get lost, never to be found again. Timothy Egan writes this in the book called the worst hard time. So no man's land is a small stretch of land in Oklahoma that is between Kansas, Texas, Colorado, and New Mexico. It is 35 miles wide and 210 miles long. 
At one time, it was not attached to any territory or state in the West. It was geographical afterthought. From the 1900s to 1930, there was an invitation to migrate from the East to the Midwest to produce wheat and other grains in the rich native soils of North Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Kansas. The federal government was so anxious to settle no man's land that they offered free train rides to pilgrims looking to prove up a piece of dry land. The slogan at the time was, Health, Wealth, and Opportunity. Mr. Egan writes, The problem was the newly acquired land had to be plowed, the native grasses and vegetation removed, and the new promised grain planted. Many thought this new crop would become America's next big thing. Many families left the hustle and bustle of this big city and tried their luck at farming. They packed their limited belongings up and traveled Midwest. When they arrived, they were saddened to see what was promised as beautiful, luscious land was a landscape of grass and emptiness. After tearing up the native grasses of Great Plains, leaving exposed dirt and with no rain or moisture, introduced the nation to one of the worst natural man-made disasters in American history. Dusters, large dust storms, would reach up to the sky some 10,000 feet. The dust would be so thick that one farmer opened up and the lungs were so filled with dust that they were a solid mass. The Dust Bowl got its name after Black Sunday, April 14, 1935, quoted by, uh, in Bill Gansel's Farming in the 1930s. The Great Dust Bowl of the 1930s became the worst natural man-made disaster in American history. Natural because there was a drought that lasted for a few years, wind that blew the dust and sand across the plains and fires that were caused by heat, lightning and atmospheric pressure, man-made because the farmer ripped up, opened the earth, and exposed the dirt that once held down uh, by native grasses. Although this disaster cost American lives, livelihood and finances, uh, and so on, many farmers withstood the great dust bowl and continued to farm. The families that stayed behind chose to do the best things during the worst of times. They could not afford to do the very things that they wanted to do, but they did what was necessary. They did some of the best things. Many families stayed during the historical disaster, even though the landscape was of dust and drought. The desperate families called this place their home. They continued to farm when their future looked bleak. Some farmers did not make enough to support their families, so they relied on others to provide the remaining. Many plants, meanwhile, plant scientists were developing special kinds of seeds that grew in dry weather. The government started many new programs to help farmers. One program paid farmers to plant less of certain crops or not to plant at all. Another program taught farmers how to conserve the soil or paid them to plant trees. Many of these programs changed what farmers planted and how they plowed the land. These programs changed America agriculture forever. In the 1930s, crop and livestock prices started to go up and conservation programs began building up the soil. Farmers began to plant hybrid seeds and use uh, tractors and combines instead of horses. Nebraska farms got bigger, but fewer families lived on the land. Walter Schmidt says the number of people living on farms in New York uh, community went down during the 1930s, a trend that continued for many years after the Great Depression. A combination of drought, heat, exposed soil, and fire made this time period one of the worst natural-made disasters, as mentioned earlier. The rest of the country had a difficult time assisting for the Great Depression full swing. Those who stayed rested on the optimistic thoughts of, it will get better, it always does, or this will soon pass. They waited it out. The rains did eventually come, so, so did the, the dusters, sometimes even worse than the first. 
But eventually the farmer, thanks to some different planting methods and equipment, was able to make a living and thrive in the Great Plains and in the infamous No Man's Land. During these worst of times, the farmer was dependent on the basics of farming. Regardless of new and improved equipment or new methods of harvesting, every farmer knew you cannot force crops to grow. You are governed by nature. The struggling one uh, farmers uh, focused on doing the best thing during the worst of times. It was simply to supply for the family first when there was nothing left. Either store it for next year or sell it to make a little profit. People who grew up during the Depression said no one had any money. We're all in the same boat. Neighbors helped each other through hard times, sickness, and accidents, and families got together with neighbors at school programs, church dinners, and dances. Children and adults found ways to have fun for free, playing board games, listening to the radio, or to go to outdoor movies. Families who did the best things during these difficult times weren't distracted from the goal, but what they were is they simply did the best things by coming together as a family coming together as a community. If they decided not to do the best things, they'd become distracted and they would become unproductive and ineffective. The church must do the best things. Has the church seen the worst times? The worst times implies that we have arrived at a point in our culture and time that we are at our worst. Unfortunately, we have not seen anything like the worst, it is only getting worse. We have not seen the end. As stated earlier, the second law of thermodynamics tells us that we're going from order to chaos. That means there's chaos is going to continue. Not only will the physical elements continue to get worse, individuals' morality and decisions will deteriorate. The Bible tells us that from the time of Adam, sin will, excuse me, the time of Adam, sin will continue to exist in our world. Since sin is prevalent, there will be constantly a battle between right and wrong. The flesh will always be at war with the spirit. Unless one is born again, the flesh will always be victorious. We can see throughout the centuries morality has been decaying. Evil will continue and greed will always affect how we do business. Selfishness will always be the filter by which we protect ourselves. Pride will determine how far we will go. David in Psalms chapter 14 verse 1 through 7 says this, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They all have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does, not even one. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who who eat up my people as they eat bread? And do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great dread. Our current culture has a battle going on. Our culture screams there is no God. All one needs to do is look out around and see the behavior of humanity. Relativism is now the new old philosophy. Relativism at its core, its conclusion is best summarized by three conclusions. One, there are no absolute truths. Two, individual experience determines their truth. And three, experience divine defines truth. Relativism provides an excuse for behavior and beliefs. With this type of philosophy, one can come to an interpretation that Adolf Hitler was right, true, and justified in his action for what he believed was his own truth and reality. By these assertions, we do not have the right or position to judge. God's laws, precepts were once regarded as stable societal societal anchor, has now become an outcast. The scriptures are clear that we are living in the last days. Just take a look at 1 John or Jude or Hebrews or the first letter that Peter writes, or James. 
Paul, in his own letter to the churches in Ephesus, makes a simple exhortation. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. How does the above scripture help us during these times? As we live during the last days, we must be mindful of how we live, be smart, and take advantage of the breath of God that has given us another day to live. The enemy is seeking to destroy whatever is good and pleasing to God. Our walk with the Lord must be steady, moving forward, never looking back without reservation and grounded in the word. During these last days before the Lord returns, life as a believer will not get any easier. Paul explains to Timothy the reality of living a godly life by telling him, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 Paul Paul prefaced this harsh reality by reflecting on his own persecution and imprisonment by claiming that the Lord rescued me. Even during Paul's worst times, the Lord rescues. We deal with persecution, added more of a reliance on the Lord, which would force one to be sure that what and whom they worshipped was with confidence. Persecution in the first century was composed of believers being burned, sawed in two, pulled apart by their limbs, by using horses, crucified on crosses, This made living with the reality that one could be killed for their love of Christ. How to live in an environment where persecution was expected. In the 20th century, persecution in the United States is redefined as being ridiculed, silenced, teased, prayer prevention in schools, and maybe a loss of a job. In other countries, a bullet in the head, decapitation, dragged through the city streets behind a vehicle, and being burned in homes are just a few ways Christians are persecuted. So Paul gives Timothy a sad forecast of what the last days will be like in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, excuse me, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighted down with the sins, led on by various impulses, always learn and never being able to come to the knowledge of God. In these difficult times, What about the world? We live in a chaotic world. Many people hold the religious convictions that create hostility toward one another. This creates chaos. Nobody knows what to believe because everyone believes in something. And those who believe in something are constantly at war with those who believe in other things. We're known for what we're against and so on. With this chaos, chaos of beliefs, who's right? Who's wrong? These convictions range from one can become a god to all belief systems reach the same destination, heaven. The the varieties of opinions on morality results in domestic violence as well as community violence. It does not take too long while surfing the internet or the media to provide such point or prove such point. While living in this chaotic uh, world, we must keep our focus and keep our eyes looking forward, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Rick Warren wrote a very popular book called Purpose Driven Life, which tackles humanity's basic questions. How do I get here? Uh, How did I get here? Why am I here and for what purpose? Ironically enough, God's word answers these questions more in detail and are from the author, creator, and the one who can save us. With purpose, we are able to keep moving forward, not running around aimlessly, unsure of why or where we're going. Loving the Lord and keeping keeping his commands must be 
a priority. Well, what are the best things? What is, what are the days in which we live? They're chaotic. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. We we already mentioned that, but now we're just going to explore. We're going to probably touch on this towards this end of this episode and also touch this on part two. But what are the best things? Best always beats good. Good always beats mediocrity. The problem we find ourselves in, choosing between mediocrity, mediocrity, yeah, mediocrity and doing the best. Choosing the good or choosing the best. Choosing to do the best takes hard work, commitment, and discipline. The easy and comfortable way is to settle for mediocrity. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary and Martha is a story about two sisters who wanted to please Jesus as he visited him. As Martha was over, overly consumed with the hosp- hospitality for Jesus, Mary, his sister, was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Always being at Jesus' feet is going to be the best. Culturally speaking, Martha was fulfilling her sort of societal role, while Mary's actions of sitting at the feet of a man and not in the kitchen preparing an elaborate meal was very unusual. Martha was ticked off because her sister Mary was not helping Martha with all the preparations for dinner. Martha knew that Jesus needed something to eat and there was work to be done. Martha confronted Jesus and asked him to intervene and correct Mary and get him involved. Jesus corrects Martha's thinking by explaining to her that as she was distracted and consumed by non-essentials, it was preventing her from doing what was more necessary, what was the best. Jesus used the very one Martha that had a problem with her sister as an example since she had chosen to do the best thing to sit at Martha's feet, excuse me, at the master's feet. The doing and preparations were a distraction and consumed Martha and prevented her to be in the very presence of Jesus. Cleaning and being hospitable is good, but sitting at the master's feet and learning was the best. We must decide that listening to Jesus as he speaks, either through the Bible, through the Holy Spirit, of great importance. Jesus declares the best by telling a lawyer the greatest and foremost best commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. Individually, we are called to love Jesus and love others. Regardless of where one lives, they are called to surrender to Jesus, live for him, and while loving and serving others, Serving and serving Jesus and others is not easy, and it's so tough in this crazy and wild, chaotic world. God has not called us to a kingdom of cakewalks. We are called to maturity. The Bible uses metaphors regarding being productive and effective. He uses the picture of an athlete, farmers and soldiers. Athletes train and beat their bodies to perfection in order to perform at the highest level so they win the prize. 
It takes discipline, pain, and focus. Least ourselves, we should be disqualified. Farmers are faithful who are unwavered by the heat, cold, drought, dusters, and floods. Regardless of the uh, environmental elements, we do our work of planting and watering and then trust God to bring the harvest. Soldiers are a special group of people. Soldiers sacrifice to protect and to serve out there. Com, uh, are two commonalities. Soldiers commit to a task greater than themselves, the cause to which being wounded for, worth dying for, worth taking, giving up themselves and, and convenience are all necessary to complete the task. It demands a commitment that is rooted in total allegiance to a will of a commander-in-chief whose wisdom we trust, whose strategy we believe in, and on whose field we are willing to spend our spend our lives. The ministry has always been tough. The calling the following are most difficult for both of these require us to die to self and carry our cross daily for the one who can save us to be first is to be last to want is to give away to accumulate is to throw away to secure is to not worry to have an identity is to be an alien and a stranger with foreign citizenship that concludes part one of doing the best things in these uncertain times. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like the content and the podcast, I'd love it if you share it with your friends, family, neighbors, anybody who you feel that would be blessed. For more content, go to bobyunker.substack.com. 